Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Ryan Lay, grew up right outside of Phoenix, Arizona and started skating in 1999. He turned pro for Welcome Skateboards back in 2016 and is still ripping in his mid-30s, recently getting on the sci-fi fantasy and New Balance programs. Throughout his career, Ryan has also been very invested in giving back to the skateboarding community through his nonprofit Skate After School or his involvement with SkatePile to name just a few. In February 2023, he helped put together the first edition of Slow Impact in his hometown of Tempe, Arizona, bringing together a wide range of skaters from all over the states to host panel talks, skate sessions and more. So here's my conversation with Ryan. I hope you'll enjoy it. to get to talk to you been a big fan of your skating and everything you do around skating for a while now so uh, yeah thank you for taking some time to chat with me i appreciate it yeah likewise thanks for having me on so i usually start these episodes with the same basic question of how you know my guest started skating and i think we're pretty much the same age right i think you're like 35 or 36 around there yeah 35 but yeah, so can you tell me about how you picked up your first board? And I think you grew up in Tempe, and I know you're living there now, but is that where you grew up, or did you grow up in a different part of Arizona? Yeah, I grew up in a suburb called Mesa. I mean, all the cities that border Phoenix are just kind of like, it's a big suburban sprawl. So I'm now like 10 miles from where I grew up. And yeah, I grew up there. My brother got me into skating, you know, started skating with some of the older guys like Marty Murawski and Mark Murawski, who were kind of like the, they were the dudes making really good videos around, what era was that? Would have been like... Mid-2000s or... Yeah, like 20 years ago. Yeah, mid-2000s. They put out a video called the Arizona video, which was the first independent video that had come out of AZ that was kind of like showcasing the scene. And I felt like that was the first time also it felt like we had a really cohesive scene. There obviously were really great skaters from AZ before then, like Randy yeah. Colvin, Colby Carter. But for us, that was the, you know, that, that was like our, our generation's first push into the global skate scene, I guess. Do you remember maybe like the first mag and the first video that she watched as a kid? Is there something that comes to mind? Yeah, we had public domain in the house, which definitely predates my skating. But uh, and then we also had jump off a building, welcome to hell, thrill of it all, and then mouse. So for me, it's funny because I feel like when I talk to older people, there were like these two poles in skating, which was like whatever was going on with like Jamie Thomas and Toy Machine, and then on the other side was like the mouse side of things. And yeah. Uh, when you're little, though, you can just ingest all of that. And there was no, like, distinction. I was just, yeah, I was just like, oh, it's so cool. Like, huge handrails. <laughs> Guy Mariano doing switchable back tails. It just all kind of felt, yeah, mesmerizing to me at the time. And what about the first magazine? Do you remember that? Um, no, I think this must have been just, like, the glory days of Transworld, for sure. I mean, I remember getting, my brother and I getting a subscription to Transworld and 4-on-1 when we were little kids. And, yeah, just kind of, those were always around in the house. I don't really remember a specific first issue, though. That'd be a good exercise, though, to go back and look at that. Yeah. It's funny, some people remember very vividly, like, oh, it's, it was this issue this month, this guy was on the cover, whatever, and some people are like, oh, no idea, like, uh, maybe a Thrasher, maybe a Transworld, whatever. 
Yeah, I think I started skating in 99. But again, you know, we started skating around the neighborhood. So I don't know if we, we really knew about skate magazines until probably like right around 2000. So, okay. Yeah. Kevin at Look Back Library would be a good person to, I could go check out one of his, his little museums and, and figure that yeah. out. Have you done a, like a cover discussion or something that he, you know, like he, he goes to me with a pro like you and he has the pro in question, like um, he gets a few of the covers that the pro has had throughout his career and he has him like talk about shooting that specific uh, cover. Has he done one of those with you or? No, I never done that before. Okay. I'm sure he'll track you down and we'll get you to do one one day. Yeah, I only had one skateboard mag cover, so... Um, and then just recently I had the closer, the closer. cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Kyle Seedler one was pretty sick, yeah. And so I don't want to ask you too much about your like pro skater career because I feel like that's probably something you've covered extensively throughout other interviews. And I'm more interested in asking you about all the other stuff you do aside from your pro skater career. But um, I just wanted to ask you about where you're at now because as, as I said, you're 35, so you're an older skater, so to speak. But you're like, it seems like your career is really thriving still. And you, you just got not too long ago on the sci-fi fantasy team. I think you were actually the first person to turn pro for them if i'm not mistaken and i saw also that you got on a new balance recently and i know you've gone through like various sponsors whether it's for boards or for shoes throughout your whole career but it, it seems like right now you're at a really good place with two really dope brands and uh, so yeah i just wanted to ask you how do you feel about this stage of your career pretty much Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that, that's a really good uh, summary of it all. Um, it feels pretty surreal. Like, I, I feel like I'm in a weird way. I've just kind of arrived at what I was where I was hoping to get for mm -hmm. my entire career, which is like, yeah, you want a really solid shoe sponsor and board sponsor that you you really love. And, you know, the finances are sorted out so that you can really focus on your craft. And uh, yeah, I haven't really had that much in my career, um, little stints. Um, but yeah, it's pretty wild to like have reached this stage at, at <laughs> the spry yeah. age of 35. That's amazing though. I mean, it's very, very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I had pretty candid conversations with the you know the marketing people at New Balance and was you know they asked about my age and like you know that I've kind of been around the block and I was like look you know like I was thinking for sure about retiring a couple of years ago okay just because you know I've done a lot in skating and I'm happy with it and also I, I do think that at a certain point you kind of have to like look at the writing on the wall and not stick around for too long and sure. I never wanted to be that person and there's you know again like no hard feelings there's lots of other things in life that I'd love to do that I don't you know focus on because I'm really tethered to skateboarding but mm. you know now with the opportunity to skate again I'm like all right let's go like I'm gonna put you know my heart and soul into it is, is how I feel to be honest so Uh, yeah, it feels yeah. yeah, it feels really good. But yeah, just you know, skating's changed so much in the last few years that the kind of like traditional career paths that people used to have, like that's out the window. You know, companies aren't so focused on signing exclusively 16, 17 year olds and and trying to like carry them through their entire career. It's just yeah, it's just a different different market, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of getting on New Balance, I think you were just recently on a trip with uh, Andrew Reynolds. And uh, he's obviously a bit older. I think he's in his early 40s or mid, maybe even mid 40s. Of course, Andrew Reynolds is like a, a legend in the game and everything. But like, it, it's really cool to see New Balance, as you said, not focusing on just young future Olympians or something, but to invest in also in skaters that are, you know, have been there for a while and keep pushing it. So 
Yeah, definitely. Like, I was just going to say, like, Reynolds has definitely been a mentor to me. You know, like, I don't know him super well, and I got to know him recently since getting on New Balance. But, you know, like, I'm at a stage in my career where I want longevity, and he's the model for that for, I think, everybody. And um, sure. it's been super fascinating to just be able to pick his brain. It's funny because I remember my old roommate when I was 30, my old roommate Dylan wrote me a birthday card. Because, I, you know, 30 is like that age, especially if you're athletic, you're like, oh, man. And I'm right. I'm going into my 30s now. Uh, and he wrote on my birthday card, remember Reynolds kickflip Davis gap when he was 30. Yeah, and I, that's and true. I always I always thought about that because, you know, that's like arguably like one of the best video parts of all time. Um, yeah. But even then, you know, even through his 30s and into his 40s, like he's managed to produce skateboarding that's interesting and contributes Relevance. to yeah relevant and uh yeah so it's been it's been cool to be able to like you know get some mentorship from him i guess and what about sci-fi like how how did that connection happen because i i saw and we'll talk about um slow impact later but um jerry hsu was at slow impact he participated in one of the panels over there and uh i think a lot of the um, sci-fi team was also present at the event but like how how did this uh, connection with them happen like how did you end up over there Yeah, uh, I knew Jerry from Enjoy Days, and so I kind of always, oh, like, right. yeah. maintained a little bit of a relationship with him. We've not been, like, super close over the years, but when he started doing clothes, he was sending me some clothes, and along with a handful of other people, mm -hmm. and it wasn't really so clear, like, what direction the brand was going to take, like, whether or not it was just be this kind of, like, fringe art project, or if it was going to be, uh, you know, more of, like, a skate clothing company or turn into a skateboard company, and so. I had that talk with him. Uh, I just was kind of at a place again where I was like, I don't really feel kind of stuck, you know, in mm. my skate career. And he was like, I'm, you know, let's do this. I want to start a board brand. And Aaron was already involved, um, obviously, oh, yeah. as, an a as an AM. And that was really encouraging to see because I, I was a big fan of her skating. Yep. And so, yeah, we just started figuring out what it could look like as a board company. And I mean, that's still happening to this day. Like, you know, we're still kind of like just building out the team. Yeah, but it's exciting. I, I think you just went on a trip all together like not too long ago, a few months ago or something. And the team is pretty sick. Like it's very diverse and uh, interesting. So yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever you guys are going to put out in the next few months. Yeah, yeah. The trip was really fun. Yeah, it was nice to, you know, we don't all know each other super well. So it was really rad to like finally get, you know, you're stuck in a hotel room and staying up till the wee hours in the morning. But it was it was good, really productive. And everyone felt like there was good cohesion. And now we're like really motivated to work on. I don't know if we're going to do a full length video or, or what, but we're definitely filming. So figure it out. And so I wanted to ask you also just about your education, so to speak, I mean, as in going to college and stuff, because I read in some interviews that you gave that uh, you had uh, started going to college pretty much right after high school and that you actually quit after a couple of years because at the time, like you were sponsored by Rasa Libre and iPath. And I think uh, your skate career was kind of taking off and you, you decided to focus on that and stop college and maybe pick it back up later, which you actually did a few years later when you were in San Francisco, I believe. So yeah, I just wanted to ask you about basically what did you study and and also now looking back, do you feel like it was a good decision to stop college at the time to focus on your skate career or do you feel like it, it would have probably been manageable to do both things at the same time or? Uh, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a, there's a complicated answer for that question. But uh, I would say that, you know, so I went to art school straight out of high school. And I think I had I'd reached a stage where I was pretty burnt out on sponsored skating at that time. And I went for a couple of years and it seemed pretty clear to me that the track was that you like try to get into a good grad school, like an Ivy League or something like that. And then you can make it as an artist. And mm-hmm. I was kind of, you know, aiming for that path. But then I just couldn't let skating go, really. And and also was at a point when I was about to have to take out pretty serious loans for school. And I had some opportunities with skating. And I was like, you know what? Like, I should just try to focus on skating for a couple more years. And if it doesn't work out, um, I can, like, really shelf it and go back to school. And I think my mom even at some point was like, all right, if you're not making, you know, money off of skating in two years, like, you got to go back to school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, so things actually did start clicking after Rasa Libre I got on Enjoy and got on iPath mm-hmm. and then I got on Huff and I was traveling a good amount and then I got basically dropped from all of those sponsors like in the same month <laughs> and when I was living oh, wow. in New York and uh what year was that do you remember it was it would have been like 2012 I think like because okay. I lived in I remember I lived in New York on the 10th anniversary of 9-11 so it was probably like 2011 2012 Mm-hmm. 2013 and then uh yeah i moved back here and was like all right well skating's over i'm gonna go back to community college and try to finish the traditional schooling without taking out serious loans and was delivering chinese food and just like living a, a very kind of regular life and mm-hmm. from there i got on welcome and that kind of like happened in tandem with finishing my bachelor's degree which i just ended up getting a degree in public administration nothing okay. nothing special but it was around the time that we were also starting our nonprofit skate after school so there was a lot of overlap between studying public admin and, and that and i thought maybe I've had it at various points of my late 20s also, like I've gone and met with advisors to go to grad school just just as an an alternative. But um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say like I'm really like happy about it one way or another, but I'm, you know, it was the seemed like the right thing to do at the time. I probably would have had more fortune in skating, focusing on it exclusively at a younger age, but I just couldn't. I don't know. For whatever reason, you know, you go through phases of burnout and that happens and so you know i i wanted to refocus my energy on something new mm-hmm. but yeah and then when i you know when i decided to go to i finished at northern arizona university and i just chose the route that was the most affordable because school is just prohibitively expensive in the states yeah, so yeah. i was like what's the route that i can go where i don't have to end up with you know fifty thousand dollars in student loans or something which is not unusual for many of my friends and I want to ask you about skate after school, of course, as well. But um, just before that, I have a, it's kind of a random question, but I, I'm interested in this because I'm vegan myself. I've been vegan for two years. Respect. Thank you. And, uh, and I believe you are as well and that you've been for quite a while. I was just curious to ask you about that because I know that there are quite a few probably now people in skateboarding that are vegan. I think Ed Templeton was an early like ambassador of veganism, I guess. Kenny Anderson. I know that Kristen Ebeling that I had on the podcast as well. She told me she was vegan, but it's still somewhat, you know, like a limited amount of people. But I just wanted to ask you like how, how did you decide to go vegan and what kind of influence? 
influence you to do that? And also, what's the perception of veganism in the States and maybe where you are in Arizona and throughout your travels, how people have perceived it? Because from my perspective here in France, you know, we're a country where food, of course, is very important. It relies very heavily on the dairy industry and the meat and fish industry. And so being vegan here is basically being uh, super marginalized. And whenever I say I'm vegan, people look at me like I'm, I'm a huge asshole or something. So it's, uh, it's, not, it's not usually pleasantly you know, welcomed. So I was just wondering, what is your experience of that, where you live, and also as you've been traveling all around the world, like how have people reacted to that? Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, it's changed over the years for sure. You know, like I started being vegan in New York in uh, maybe... Early 2010s? Yeah, like early 2010s, I had a friend who kind of pushed me over the edge along with a book. Mm -hmm. And I just did it because I was like, you know what, this seems easy enough. Like, I think in life, there's, you know, there's all sorts of sacrifices that we're faced with and that we know are the are the right thing to do. And some of those we're not really willing to make, which is like not drive a car or, you know, take the subway, whatever. But for me, I was like, well, I think I could kick meat. And then eventually I was like, yeah, I could kick dairy and Eggs. all that too. All Yeah, eggs too. And the thing that was rad about it was that it like opened up a whole new way of eating that I never knew existed. Because I just grew up on like kind of a standard American diet. You know, not to say that it was like bad food, but you know, my mom had four boys to feed. So mm -hmm. she's making the stuff that's available at the grocery store that's affordable. Sure. And yeah, once I started eating vegan, I just like, it was weird because you think that you're constraining your diet, but what ends up happening actually is like you open your diet up to like a whole new range of things that you have to eat because you know you're trying to look for things on the menu but at the time in new york it was pretty easy like there were good vegan options and then moving back here you know it was I, w I felt like I just kind of like rode right into that wave of like Chipotle came out and Whole Foods came out and skate tours started to change because skate tours used to be centered around eating at fast food places. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we just go to Whole Foods every day mm. and people just eat the salad bar, um, at least the trips that I was going on. But that's not to say that like traveling, it for sure happens like and it sucks being the one person who's like in a foreign country that doesn't really understand your weird dietary preferences and you feel culturally insensitive because you know you're getting offered food and you're just like I don't really know what to do in this moment yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. um But then you go to places like Palestine and there's like incredible vegan food that's just abundant oh, really? everywhere. Yeah, like okay, most wow. of the, you know, like falafel and hummus and the salads are all vegan. So it's pretty easy to eat there. For some reason, I, I thought over there it would be quite difficult, but uh, it looks like it was actually easy. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, and on skate trips, it's like now, you know, like I was eating vegan food with Reynolds on the last New Balance trip. And there's it always seems like there's like one or two people, which makes it just a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And people just all have weird dietary things, you know, like there's there's we're all freaks now. <laughs> like, there's like <laughs> always true. like one or two guys that are like eat a ton of meat, one or two guys that eat, uh, you know, no gluten, you know, so people it's uh, you feel a little bit. bit less of an outcast and so changing gears again but like yeah tell me a bit about skate after school because um you've been doing that for quite a while i think it started in 2012 were you one of the founders or did you join at the very early stages i wasn't sure if you were one of the initiators or if you kind of joined in as uh, tim and uh, bobby kind of started this whole thing 
Yeah, so I got involved uh, with Bobby. So Tim Tim initially started it just kind of as a community project, and he was refurbishing old boards and donating them to a community center. That turned into us going and volunteering at the community center and, and teaching the kids how to skate. And I kind of was, because of my track in school, I felt really motivated to try and turn it into a nonprofit because I was like just learning what that was at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I didn't really have any direction in my skate career, but I, I've always been pretty motivated and like, you know, pretty pretty project oriented, you know? So I, I just saw that there was a big opportunity there and I was like, look, like we could reach out to the schools and maybe start raising money and, you know, we could expand the program and reach more kids. Mm-hmm. And so from there we went to a, they call themselves uh, venture incubators, but it's basically like a business school. It's not school, but you go there if you have a business idea and they kind of help you get your feet off the ground and connect you with people in the community you might need a- access to. And mm-hmm. most importantly, like they helped us with the first initial round of fundraising which was super helpful and you know from there Tim and I spent the last almost like 10 years just kind of slowly building it and Bobby as well Mm -hmm. Um, but Tim Tim and I were the the only two paid employees for a long time and yeah we have a big team of volunteers and you know at its core it's a mentorship program and you know the the vessel we use to do that mentorship program is by providing a mobile skate park with skateboards and safety equipment on site at the schools so kids show up one day a week we have a full week built out at different schools but if you're at a specific school you show up one day a week and you skateboard you learn some core values you know we talk about things that are important to us as skaters Mm -hmm. and yeah have some fun nothing too serious you bring actually like the skate obstacles to the schools like you don't take the kids to a, a nearby skate park Nah, there's no nearby skate parks where we're at. But actually, the park that we built, which maybe we'll get into, Perry, we built that next to the schools because we realized that, you know, not uncommon for big, uh, sprawling cities in the U.S., but if you're closer to the core, you have less public resources available to you. So if you live in Phoenix proper, there's no skate parks anywhere near you. you got to travel like, you know, five to ten miles in any direction. So mm. when we had an opportunity working with the, the Arizona Lottery to do a big project, we're like, well, we'd love to, you know, convert one of these abandoned tennis courts into a skate park for the kids because we serve all these kids in this small geographic area. They're all within like a probably like two square miles of each other. And it'd be great to give them a park that they could skate to because, yeah. again, this is not a this is a car focused or car centered city you know like it's very tough to take public transportation especially as a young kid okay so yeah it made more sense to do it that way than uh try to like i don't know put in place a system with buses that would take them to a skate park or something or yeah so we you know we have a we have a, a big truck that is filled with it's got you know a box and four ramps and a flat bar in it right now and probably 30 to 40 skateboards and the same amount of helmets and wrist guards yeah so we can just kind of like show up volunteers and tim help unload everything onto the ground kids skate you know and we pack it all up and go back to the office Mm-hmm. I think that's how free movement in Athens, they do most of their uh, sessions as well, I believe. So it looks like it's uh, an accessible model to do that. 
Definitely. And, I, you know, I again, like something, I'm a big fan of free movement and a, a monthly donor. But uh, I think that something that we've, like, talked about is that, like, consistency is the key. Like, showing up and being a, a figure in these kids' lives on a daily basis or a weekly basis, you know, yeah. showing them that, you know, we're there to, like, be the people who they skate with. You know, obviously, yeah. we're, not, we're not teachers. We're not, like, training them to be the next generation of best skaters. But just, we're just another consistent adult that's in their lives and we're not just going to drop in one time and you know give them a skateboard and, and wave goodbye but like try right, to right. actually be there we built the skate park you can tap into the skate community you can come to the skate shop and you know if that's your thing like please you know feel free to to be a part of it and we've had you know lots of kids that you know they've continued skating which is really cool to see if only because it gives them uh, like a subculture and a community to access you know Absolutely, like that's yeah. that's what's really important and so where is it at now, like uh, the Skate After School, the program, how many kids get to participate in these sessions? How many days a week or how is it organized and how many people do you reach at this point now? Well, we had a few more programs prior to COVID, but right now we're at just a full weekly schedule. So we have five programs a week. Um, okay. And, you know, I would say that's about 150 kids on average, about 30 kids a session. I guess you don't go there every night, like that's probably just too demanding, but and also you, you're still traveling and you have all, all your other stuff going on. So how, how often do you get to go participate in these sessions yourself? Uh, yeah, I try to go pretty regularly. Last semester was a, a mess for me because we got married and also we had oh, yeah. slow impact. So I just was overwhelmed with extra projects. And yeah. and actually, like I left my position at Skate After School at the end of 2022. Uh -huh. um, and so we hired our friend Zamara and she's she's kind of filling in that role. But this semester, yeah, I'll be there regularly. When I'm here, it's just a great thing to do in the day. And if mm. even if you're a skater, it's like a good way Way to go get loose and then you can go skate later you know it's like yeah, yeah. roll sure. around for an hour and skate with some kids and then go skate a skate park afterwards is nice and you know i always tell people here it's like a really great way to meet other people too because you mm. know being being an adult is lonely and it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to make friends especially like-minded people so mm. yeah it's it's good i mean not just here but you know go and volunteer at any nonprofit. you'll you'll meet sure. some some cool people and probably have a good time And yeah, can you tell me a little bit about getting involved with SkatePal while we're talking about nonprofits? I think you, you went to Palestine for the first time in 2018. I know that you filmed a part that I watched again a few days ago with clips from Aram and uh, I'm not sure how to say his name, and Mayn, Mayn Hamad also mm -hmm. had some clips in there. That was late 2019, I think, a little bit before COVID started. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to know how, how did you initially go to Palestine and uh, how did you get involved with uh, SkatePal? Yeah, uh, I got involved initially because I was reading an Angela Davis book. I was like kind of like going through a little bit of a, yeah, I don't know what you would call it without sounding incredibly dorky, but like a political <laughs> education moment, awakening or something like that. Yeah, so yeah, I was, yeah. I, and I was, it was in tandem with my school and also whatever Trump was elected in 2016. So I think everyone was like, holy shit, we're, it's pretty bleak here. Mm-hmm. 
And so I was reading a bunch of different books and, you know, Israel-Palestine is always an issue that kind of like comes up in our media that's like feels incredibly skewed. And I was always curious about why it felt that way. And I never really had an opinion one way or another, Mm -hmm. um, which is probably the intention. And I was reading an Angela Davis book that kind of connected the Black Lives Matter activists in Ferguson and the anti-apartheid activists in Palestine. Mm -hmm. And I posted about the book and then Mon, who's in that video reached out to me and was like yo like I work at Amnesty in Ramallah and you should come out and and skate here and and visit and I'll show you around and so I had just recently gotten out of a really long relationship like maybe like eight or nine years and was having a just a year of trying to find myself whatever figure things out and I actually was on a trip I was on a trip in the south of France and Bilbao and then was going on another trip in Asia. And so in between, I was like, oh, it'd be cool if I could like go to Palestine for the couple of weeks in the in the interim. And I didn't know anyone out there. I knew Man a little bit, but he was also working. And he was like, yo, these kids, Aram and Adham, they're kind of the, the grandfathers of skating here. <laughs> Because Man is Palestinian American, so he you know right, he, yes. he grew up in Michigan, but he's very much a Palestinian. But like for him, he was like, "Yo, these kids are the like they grew up here, and they they were like the first people to start skating, and they're all good at skating." Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I just kind of like cruised around with Aram and became super good friends with both of them, and had an incredible time, and also like learned a lot about you know not only like why things are the way they are there, but just about like the U.S.'s role in in so many conflicts which you Mm -hmm. know is a pretty tough thing to reckon with and yeah just I also like on a skate level like really enjoyed my time skating there like it felt really fun the spots are incredible there's lots of hills everywhere people are really nice and generous and so I wanted to go back out there and work on a part for Thrasher or just like a part in general I don't know if we we knew it was going to be for Thrasher but um, yeah I got some sponsors to help me fund that and went back out I think the next year Mm -hmm. And we spent a month there and rented an apartment and just filmed that whole part and wrote an article about it. And yeah, it was cool to be able to, I mean, they they were included in that process, which is rad. And it's just, yeah, it's just a, a neat place. Like if you have the invite if or if you want to go volunteer for Skate Pal, like you should go and it will be for sure a life-changing experience for you. There's There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Have you been back to Palestine since uh, that last trip in 2019 or... No, because of COVID, um, I was planning on going back and yeah, there's just been pretty tight restrictions until semi-recently, but I'm mm-hmm. actually thinking about potentially going back because I think Aram might be moving to Sweden, so I want to go visit before oh, he really? does that. Okay. Yeah. So I would like to go back and I don't know, work on something else out there if, if possible. But yeah, Escape Pal also just as an organization has like been very near and dear to my heart. You know, it's just like an incredible organization I can't say enough yeah. good things about and I've worked with them on all sorts of projects and obviously they were the organizers of Pushing Borders, which was a huge influence on me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of just like running a solid organization that benefits people and gets, you know, resources to people in the right ways, they're definitely the good guys. Yeah, and actually, like, tell me about going to Pushing Borders because, um, yeah, I want to ask you about Slow Impact, obviously, but I'm sure uh, Pushing Borders must have been a big influence in um, setting up uh, Slow Impact. And so did you go to the first edition of Pushing Borders or did you just go to the second one in Malmö? Yeah, just the second one. That was after I, I don't think I knew about it the first year. And then after the second one, we had kind of started our podcast, Vent City. Right. Yeah. Um, it felt like there was also just a lot of 
interest in exploring skating on like a deeper level, I guess you could say, or like things on the periphery. Mm-hmm. And obviously those guys had become friends of mine just through visiting Palestine. Yeah. So I went out to Malmo with some friends and it was an awesome experience and definitely was like formative for me and for sure influenced what we're doing now at Slow Impact. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly because I realized that there's such a dearth of this type of event everywhere, you know, like especially because of COVID, obviously, but they got burnt out, I think, doing Pushing Borders because it was such a such Intense. a behemoth yeah, yeah. To, <laughs> to organize. And so... Mm-hmm. I kind of like ran with that model a little bit, scaled it down some. Obviously, being in the States makes things a little easier, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And we kind of was just like, all right, we're going to we're going to do a and, and took some made some tweaks to some things. You know, like I, I there were things that I really loved about pushing borders and things that I was like, eh, if I did this, I think I would do it a little differently. So okay. made some little tweaks around the edges and there's always, you know, improvements to be made. And even going into the second year of planning, I'm kind of thinking again, like, all right, what are the what are the things that worked last year and what didn't. So you went to that second edition in Malmo that was in the summer of 2019. Then COVID happened. So for like a full year or even maybe two years, everything was kind of a, in a weird state. At what point did you start, you know, thinking about setting up a similar event in the States? And how long did it take you to get it on track, basically? I pretty much started planning it. I started thinking about it summer of last year and probably took about six months to plan and organize it. But I think the last three months was like finally when I took the plunge and hit the button that's like, there's no turning back from this. We've posted an event flyer and now you have to organize your way out of it, um, which is a a scary and thrilling place to be in. Uh, Just because you have no idea, are people going to show up? Are the panelists going to bail? You know, but... (laughs) The reason that I chose to do it is because, again, like I felt like there was this big absence without pushing borders that all these people that I knew in this community, which is like the broader community of like academics, community activists, pro skaters, skate shop owners, organizers, just skate nerds in general, um, Mm -hmm. skate Twitter people, that they were looking for, they wanted to meet up and be able to talk. And the panels are just like one vehicle for that. You know, like people aren't just coming for the panels. They're also coming to skate. They're coming to like meet up and chat because that that was my experience of pushing borders was like the richest parts of pushing borders were you know going to have beers with ocean howl at (laughs) one in the morning and you know in malmo or something like that and so i felt like we had a few things going for us one we have an office at skate after school that we could host the panels two we're basically on site at asu which is one of the biggest universities in the country and thanks to my friend mo we could get some funding from asu Mm mm-hmm and then we have the benefit of having a inverse climate from the rest of the country for the most part. So it's nice here in the winter and horrible in the summer. So that's a little like carrot we could dangle over all our friends in the Midwest and, and New York. <laughs> and there actually was there's our there's always like groups of, of skaters that are coming out here to just do basically the skate version of like spring training which actually, since you're French, you might not know what spring training is, but it's like people come here in the spring to watch all the baseball teams before they start the season. Okay. And so, yeah, and we do it with other sports too, like in Florida, Arizona, California, all the teams play in the winter to kind of like get ready for the main season, but it 
it's like a drinking and partying event where you can come out and enjoy some nice weather, get a, you know, rent a spot with a pool, whatever. So it was kind of spring training for skaters. Like, hey, you know, you want to get your skate legs for summer ready? Like come out here in February, which I find that February is like the breaking point for a lot of people. February, March, where they're just like, all right, I've done <laughs> four or five months of brutal winter and I, I'm dying to just be Craving able to like, for skate. some sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of that's Yeah, for sure. So, you know, those three things together, we kind of realized that we're like, oh, okay, this seems like a, a decent place to do it. And we'd ha- also had success building a skate park. So, you know, we built now basically three skate parks around Tempe and Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And we want to build more of that and work with the city on more projects, but also be able to show people this new type of skate park project that we're, we're looking at, which is like, you know, repurposing abandoned space. It's low cost and it's low impact objects that are going to be super approachable for beginners, but also fun for, you know, advanced skaters. Sure. So that's kind of our ethos behind these new types of parks. And we would love for people to come check them out or hit us up and be able to, you know, go to their city and say, hey, you know, can I convert these abandoned tennis courts and put a couple ramps here and some boxes? Or just can I just put some ledges that look like benches and people can sit on them, but we can also skate them because they've got metal mm. on the side? You yeah. Know, so. And obviously that stuff's really at a much more advanced stage in Europe and Northern Europe, especially. So we took yeah. that from visiting, you know, you can't go to places like Malmo or Copenhagen without taking that away where you're like, Jesus, yeah, okay, yeah. they're just a park with like public sculptures that are skatable, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is so smart because we're so used to skating in these big million dollar cages with <laughs> giant jump ramps and you know clamshells and full pipes most stuff that people don't even want to skate anyways yeah yeah and it just changes the skate experience you know because people are looking for a more i think people are looking for like a more authentic park experience you know like yes. i'm hanging out in a park there's other people other humans here i'm not just like in a training facility i can you know have a coffee enjoy the sunset walk home you know enjoy my my night and uh, as you were planning um slow impact did you want to do it in tempe at all costs kind of or or were you kind of thinking maybe if i do it i don't know in california or in new york for example maybe i'll have more people come out you know for the event Or were you really adamant on doing it uh, in Tempe? I would say that we were adamant about it just because this is where we had the resources. Like I, I'd be happy to try to plan an event in a different place, but it's so easy to be able to set it up when you have the space accessible months ahead of time versus, you know, there's just not a lot of like publicly available space in the way there is in a place like Malmo. Like when we went to Pushing Borders, you know, they have like, what is it called? Fulkett's Park. And then they've got Brigarietz, which is the incredible skate school that John runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just... There's not a lot of that anywhere in the States. And obviously there's lots of people in California, but you get a little less of the cohesion if people aren't traveling there for it. Because I would say probably a lot of our attendants did come from Southern California. Uh-huh. But I mean, again, I'd be happy to entertain the idea of doing it in a different place. But for now, I'm just like, well, we have the skate stuff. We have the space. We have, you know, funding from the university for now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I like doing it here. Whereas if we were to do it in a different place, it's just a full-time job, basically. You know, like you have to, having seen also what Theo and Charlie and all those guys went through uh, organizing the first Pushing Borders, I was really mindful about like trying to delegate as much as possible and 
also have the event be as like free flowing as possible because, uh, and I still burnt myself out to the point of sickness, you know, like that, that oh, still wow. happened just because it was the first one. And we like, we were literally like finishing some of the spaces for it, but going into mm. next year, I'm like, all right, we're going to like pare down on the skate events, keep the panels, keep the nighttime events. Um, but like giving people time to breathe, you know, because I think yeah. that, I, you know, I'm not an expert organizer, but as an organizer, like I, I think that we tend to want to like fill in every hour of the day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But really people are here on vacation. You know, they like maybe want to like check out a couple of the panels. They want to go skate. They want to like meet up with that friend that they haven't seen in five years and go get breakfast with them. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing in that process of just like trying to build out the entire day is like just creating a nightmare for yourself during the event, which is like running from the panels to the skate park to set stuff up to the nighttime event and then like trying to enjoy yourself have some drinks and then getting home at one or two in the morning and waking up at eight to set up the panels again the next morning and i'm like all right we can like tone things down a little bit and have more because we had like a a free day of of street skating and i want to actually do more of that for this next one which is like have more prizes for people filming edits and stuff on their phone and trying to meet people that way instead of again like trying to plan too many things because Another thing that like I took from pushing borders and kind of tweaked was that when there's too many panels, you also just like your brain just reaches capacity. You know, like yeah. we're not we don't listen to like five podcasts in a day. You you listen no, to like one sure. or two <laughs> one or two when you're doing the dishes and it's that time of day when you need, you know, you want to go for a walk or something. Sure. And uh, so having a good balance of like, all right, this is social time, this is your vegetables time where you're going to listen to a panel and then, you know, we'll have like some let loose time. Time, some skate time it's like a, you know adult summer camp basically <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly this first edition of uh, slow impact looked really sick i saw some of the panels the videos on youtube they were really interesting and i just released today an episode with uh, ted barrow who was uh, i saw that yeah the host of uh, one of the panels that was around skateboarding and art basically yeah but yeah, so so you kind of hinted that uh, there will be a second edition. Are you working on that right now? And uh, do you already have kind of dates in mind for when it will happen and stuff? Or is it still kind of a work in progress at this stage? Yeah, I would say that if everything, if all the funding comes through, which I'm trying to figure out right now, it should happen and it should be the same dates, which for us is President's Day. You obviously don't have President's Day. That'd be ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's February 16th through the 19th. So Okay. I'm actually like kind of injured right now from running and hiking and it's also oh, yeah. it's still, you know, 110 degrees which is like I don't even know like 44 or 45 way too hot, yeah. <laughs> here. So uh, it's a good time right now, though, for planning an event. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't say for certain that it's going to happen, but I definitely am trying to, like, work on some ideas for panels and how to make it happen next year. And it seems like a lot of people are interested. I've already been hit up by a bunch of people who are, you know, people abroad who are trying to figure out childcare and travel. And I'm like, damn, people start mm-hmm. early. We're six months yeah. out right <laughs> now. But, I, I, you know, I, I respect it because if you have kids, like, you, you probably do have to do that. And I think we made that mistake last time because I, I probably like launched the flyer just like two months out of the event was like ah, it'll be fine and and people were like no two months is too quick for me to get there mm. so well you had a great turnout regardless i mean seeing the people that came it was a success yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Um, which again, like literally going to the first event, the skate event at Mitchell, I was like, I have no idea if anyone's going to be there or there's going <laughs> to be a lot of people there. I did have a kind of a little bit of a consensus from skate Twitter that those people would come and feel like th- those are like the shock troops of slow impact. So uh, <laughs> I'm counting on their support again. And I think we're also going to steal one of the ideas from Pushing Borders, which is like maybe have a space for people who are doing academic work around skateboarding to like like present their work, you know, for 10 oh, yeah. or 15 minutes and take some questions. And it'll be kind of a extracurricular that is similar to a panel, but not not a panel explicitly. Um, because I, I had a, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing really interesting work at a university around skating. And there's just, there's only so much space for panels. And again, we don't want to overboard people with too many panels because yeah, it's yeah. just... One, I mean, half of our panels are standing rooms, so you don't want, you can't be standing there for longer than two hours. But um, exactly, yeah. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to build that out. And I have some other you know ideas that we're kind of kicking around. You know, hopefully like more funding, bigger, better. That's the plan. Um, but not not also trying to like overburden myself by turning this into Dime Glory Challenge, where like every year <laughs> someone just expects it to be more and more epic. Yeah, impressive or yeah, slow <laughs> impact, but with the uh, lava this time. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) And um, I read a a recap. I don't remember who wrote this on Jenkim about the event. I don't remember if it was Christian Kerr or someone else. But um, I think Thomas Barker and Josh Rowe were the Thomas Barker. That's right. Yes. He wrote, and I thought it was pretty funny, that the theme song throughout the weekend was We Found Love by Rihanna. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so random. Like, <laughs> Because he was kind of stating, like, usually at a skate event of some sort, there would be, like, I don't know, Metallica or some, I don't know, just that kind of music. And it sounded so strange that it would be a Rihanna song that would be the theme of this whole event. <laughs> uh, is that true, or did he, did he just make that up? Yeah, I mean, that's true to some extent. That song definitely did play several times over the course of the event. But also, yeah, I just, at skate events, I'm not the type of person who wants to listen to, like, the traditional, uh, whatever, like, metal hip-hop music from, or, from yeah, the 80s. I mean, hip-hop's fine. Yeah, it's great. But I just, yeah, we just played top 40 for the most part and let it rip and thought that that was fine and fun and seemed welcoming and kept the energy high. But, I mean, that's mostly just, like, Spotify. Probably my, my garbage Spotify. Spotify playlist, but also <laughs> finding s- similar songs to that uh, thrown in there. Okay, but yeah, I think it like it, you know it does change the vibe of, of the event like a little bit. Um, and we really tried to focus on making stuff that was small, that was approachable, that people could skate. Like we you know we built the rail that went across the wedge that was oh four, yeah, yeah like twenty two feet long but only four inches high. And you know I want to try to like carry that theme into the next year, which is like making it fun for skating and less of a an event where like this is a spectacle where you come to watch pros and more yes. of a like you're participating in the event you are making the event you're creating it yeah you can relate to it better what you're saying just makes me think of the dime glory challenge i think it was one of those with the rainbow kind of rail thing yeah and that was of course impressive to see on video but like probably 99 of skaters could not skate that like whereas uh the thing you you had put in place in tempe like seemed more accessible for sure so yeah it makes more sense to favor obstacles of that nature rather than a huge uh, whatever rainbow rail or something monstrous of that nature yeah 
Yeah, and I mean, again, I'm a huge fan. Like, when I saw that Rainbow yeah, Rail, yeah. I was like, Me yes, too. dude, this yeah. is awesome. But, like, there's a lot of events that kind of cater to pros. And it's funny, like, even having gone to Copenhagen Open as a pro, I'm, like, intimidated to skate there. I'm just like, I'm going to just sit on the sidelines, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's fun to be a fan and to look. But, like, for this specific type of event, I'm like, I want you to feel like you're a participant and you're, like, yeah. here to, like, help create the event. Because, yeah, without them, you know, we, we only had, it, we had, like, a few pros out here like the sci-fi team and some of the new balance yeah. team came out and then the crux team but for the most part i'm like this is not not meant really to highlight pros and also not specifically to like yeah curate to them do you have like a kind of a favorite memory of uh, that whole event something that comes to mind right now something that you really enjoyed very much uh, from that whole uh, weekend god that's such a challenging question <laughs> I mean, my my favorite memory is going to be like wholly unremarkable, but we did Kyle's reading in the backyard. At your place, right? Yeah, so we did it in, in the backyard of my place and we were kind of like fixing everything up and that was like a really beautiful event and there were lots of really like funny readings and emotional readings and heartfelt readings. Um, and I just remember like, you're just like bouncing around everywhere, like running around with your head cut off. At least that's how I am. I'm like so manic in those moments and not eating. And like Idris, who was one of the participants, like handing me a slice of vegan pizza. <laughs> and <laughs> the, honestly, the moments that I remember remember the most were like yeah like good friends handing me food or handing me like a drink and remember and reminding Checking me in like, on you yeah, yeah like hey you're like you know you, you need to chill out like everything's good and going well um but mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i mean like sam corman's slide lecture was incredible at uh oh, on yeah. ted's panel right yeah yeah i would say there were like several remarkable moments in the i mean the whole panel was really good but the the native skate panel had some really really oh, yeah. like gut-wrenching but necessary moments of like really calling out the skate industry um, if you've mm -hmm. not seen it like please you should do yourself a favor and go watch that um, and again like there's always this push pull in organizing an event like slow impact because you do need pros and big names like ted barrow and jerry sue to like yeah, draw yeah. people in because you know not everyone knows who sam corman or like cold no wiki is sure but when you bring all these people together like i knew i was like oh these people are going to be like incredible speakers they're going to be super profound they're going to like either you know make people laugh until they cry or they're going to make people cry <laughs> because yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know it's so heavy and so that was really cool to kind of finally get to like see that in action which is like people took a leap of faith and came out to the event and then to get to like platform people who don't have a huge audience in skateboarding but that i know personally i'm like oh they're gonna they're gonna do like a really really good job and like you know provide either some like incredibly necessary insight into skating or like you know tell a, a super impactful story that's it's gonna stick with you probably for the rest of your life mm. yeah so so all of those things together i mean again that's a horrible horrible way to answer your question because there's no the, no never, that, that never, works it's fine yeah, <laughs> never just one moment but that's that's again and, that, and that's the thing that i'm like looking for going into next year is like who are the people that are kind of on the peripheries that don't have a huge audience but i know can really deliver when they come here talked about this at the beginning but i wanted to ask you a little bit about running and trail running you just said that you were injured unfortunately and i think i saw not too long ago that you were attempting to run the um, colorado trail i believe 
Yep. And uh, you got injured at some point and uh, had to uh, stop basically and to go home, unfortunately. But yeah, I was just wondering, when did you start running and trail running specifically? Have you been doing for a long time? And I was curious to ask you how that specific activity like uh, complements skating. Because I run myself, I don't do trail running, but I run. I, I love running. I've done a few marathons, but never like a huge uh, Colorado trail or something like that. That's a whole other thing. But um, I feel like running and skating, at least for me, doesn't work well together because I feel like running really messes up your joints and skating of course as well but like it's, it seems like both activities together wouldn't pair too well but uh, in your case it seems like you're able to do these crazy long trails and still have an incredible career at 35 so I'm I guess good hygiene of, of life or whatever like you take good care of yourself but um, let's start just by how did you pick up running and how has it complemented your skating Yeah, I got into, I hiked the Arizona Trail in 2021, which is a 800 mile, maybe like, I think that's like about 1200 kilometer national scenic trail that goes from Mexico to Utah. So it like it basically goes northbound through cross sects the state of Arizona. And along the way is like hitting, you know, big mountains and canyons and goes through the Grand Canyon and hits all the most like scenic parts of Arizona. Mm. And when I finished that, I met some guys who were ultra runners. And, you know, when you do a, a long through hike, you're just putting so many miles on your feet. And by the end of it, you know, I was out there for a month and a half. You're just feeling really, really strong. You know, you're not running, obviously, and you're carrying like a big pack, but you have super strong legs, and especially for climbing. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're like your quads are just bulletproof. And so when I finished that, I wanted to I had hiked the Grand Canyon several times before in the past. And then I did it on the Arizona Trail as well. And each time it kind of got a little smaller and smaller and a kind of really popular uh, destination ultra marathon run. I don't know what you'd call that. Yeah, ultra marathon is is running the Grand Canyon from rim to rim and then back. And okay. it's about 45 miles, I think like 10,000 feet of elevation gain. And so when I finished that, I was like, oh, I want to try and do this because I feel like I've, I could walk that far in a day. Like I've, I've done almost that much on trail. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have this pack, like maybe I could run. And, you know, obviously running is in quotes because I feel like the other thing is like when you tell people, oh, I like to do these like long trails or I like to do ultra marathon running or something like that. They're like, oh, I thought like a marathon was the hardest thing. And a marathon is incredibly difficult in a totally different arena because you're, you're running like a specific cadence for the whole time you're running on roads typically that mm. are flat and you're pounding your joints in the exact same way whereas like with an like say running something like the grand canyon or like a trail ultra marathon you're hiking a good amount of it you're kind of like you know jogging the flats running yeah. the downhills you know maybe you're like power hiking uphill or or running a little bit but there's this variation which just makes it way different not sure. more difficult not easier but just it's a totally different sport in, in my opinion yeah, yeah. And anyway, so I did that and it was just like this life changing experience. And I was kind of at a place where I had didn't have a shoe sponsor or clothing sponsor. And I was just like, I don't know, like I just felt not jaded from skating, but I just felt like the opportunity was like had run dry and I had done a lot in skating and was kind of like, I just, 
I'm just enjoying this new sport that I'm like on the, just getting onto this steep learning curve of, but when you're on the learning curve, it's so much fun because you get, especially with something like running, you get those incremental gains every time, you know, you put effort in, you get it out basically. Yeah. And with skating, it's not so linear, especially if you've been skating, you know, your whole life and pursuing a career in sponsored skating, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just kept running more and more and like would try to like think of these different projects and that I was interested in and kind of dove into the media and the podcasts. And I, again, I became friends with some people that were ultra runners. So they kind of like pushed me in certain directions and the stuff that I'm like really interested in is like, yeah, like we were talking earlier, ultra marathon du Mont Blanc, like oh, yeah. mm-hmm. those kind of like big mountain trail ultra marathons, but then also people who do these like really long trails and they, they do what's called fast packing, which is like, they might do like a supported run where they've got a crew with them, or they might just do, you know, really long days on trail. Like, so people, you know, have hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and they're doing like 50, 60 mile days on these trails for 50 days on end. And you're just having this like incredible adventure and so i kind of like dabbled in that a little bit but to answer your question about how <laughs> it complements my skating like i don't think that it has complemented my skating very well um and uh, if if anything like since getting some new opportunities in skating i've really realized that i needed to focus more on skating and that you know the sport is like really hard on my body in a way that like you said it makes your legs really strong but in a kind of like heavier more sluggish way i think because with skating you really need that springiness yeah agility yeah and like the kind of like explosive nature of being able to pop a skateboard and you're not going to get that when you're putting in long miles on your legs which again like will kill your vertical leap and also um it's just going to strengthen muscles you don't really need for skating i think so i haven't i haven't really been able to find a great balance for both of them but on the other side of things like you know new balance has been really supportive of me running and hiking and oh yeah um, i am able to like do these backpacking trips that are kind of like a mix of like lightweight backpack a little bit of like trotting long days hiking you know like 35 40 miles and those seem fun and kind of like fill the void for me because you know right now i'm like again i'm trying to take my skating super seriously like i'm not trying to get injured hiking and running yeah and so going out to do the Colorado Trail was kind of like the last I had already planned this a couple of years ago and it's the last weather window when when things are really nice cuz if you want to do anything at altitude it's basically you know July, August, September, you know that growing up in the Alps if you want to not be on skis basically. Yeah, yeah. And so I went out there and was like, oh, I'll just give it a shot and I ended up getting injured which is really stupid. Mm. But it happens. What happened though? How did you get injured? I just got a like two pretty serious overuse injuries that were just like my ankle was starting to sprain and the pad of my foot was also like swelling up to a point of like, you know, like basically this area that like where your toes connect to your foot was just really, really, really swollen and tender. And I was getting to a place where I was going into much higher altitude mountains where it's a lot harder to bail because there's not just easily accessible roads everywhere that you can get back to the airport, say. Okay. So I just had to make the call and unfortunately that that I was gonna gonna call it quits and how many days in uh, did you decide to quit it was like uh, three four or five days or I think I was four or five days in yeah like maybe like 120 miles in or something like that 
So okay. I think another realization I had out there was that I, which again, like this is a, when you're having like a really bad day on a trail like that and you have cell phone service and you're able to like talk to a loved one or partner like Ted Schmitz or my wife, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you're having like a breakdown. Like it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like when you're like three hours into trying a trick and your, your relationship with your friends is totally different and you're just, you know, screaming at your board. Like it's, it's kind of like that. And yeah. I just I'm had sure. this realization that I was like, I don't think that I like doing this. Like, I don't, I don't need to be extreme in this way and push myself in this way. And I really like need to focus on skateboarding. But mm-hmm. I think I have a, a little bit of a, yeah, just a, a little tick in me that whenever I get into a new sport or like a new hobby, I just have a little bit of attic. You're brain. all in? Yeah, not only all in, but just like, what's the most extreme version of this possible <laughs> uh, that I, yeah. I can do? And I realized that I'm like, yeah, I can go for a regular trail run and enjoy myself and catch the sunset it doesn't need to be this like all out make or break high altitude huge days in the mountains um, where I'm like breaking myself to the point of like not being able to walk Mm. and and also that like I'm not really that great at that you know I have not done the training that people who excel at that do nor do I have the time to do that Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's a little tough when you're friends with people that can do like huge you know if you run with someone who's like a really good and strong runner like it kind of tricks you into thinking like you're a little better at these things than you are but really you know what's the old adage that everyone says like run your own race or like hike your own hike you know like don't try to push yourself to a point that you're comparing yourself with other people and and getting injured you know because Mm -hmm. then you don't even get then you don't get to enjoy anything Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. like, yeah. So I, but I will say on the flip side of it, like one thing that I've, one skill that I've really like honed in on is just like being able to suffer. Like when you're mm. out there for days on end, like you have like a unique relationship to like failure and suffering that I never even have experienced in skateboarding. And I think that that has like really helped me. That's carried through into my skating because now when I'm trying a trick, I'm just like, oh, this is easy. I could just spend three or four hours doing this. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. This is not. Like filming a video part is stressful, but also, yeah, like it's not nothing like, you know, you're going over a mountain. uh, Yeah, Yeah, you're going over a mountain pass in the middle of the night or like in the middle of the day in full sun exposure and you're just miserable and you haven't eaten, you know, like that kind of thing. So like just the ability to kind of like grind and push through a little bit, I think is helpful for not only for skating, but just for all things in life. You know, no doubt I'm about to put myself through that again, planning slow impact, which is just like huge project that's going to be really stressful and like trying to like maintain those stress levels and Mm. delegate things and make things as easy as possible for everyone involved so that it's a fun experience instead of a miserable one (laughs) yeah and uh do you think you'll continue trail running in the future or maybe maybe not like doing huge gnarly trails like the colorado trail that you just attempted but uh do you feel like you'll try to keep doing it uh, at a, a more accessible version of it or do you think uh at this point you're kind of like okay like i'm just gonna focus on skating and taking care of myself and maybe i'll pick up uh, trail running later in life or i don't know or I think I, I'm definitely going to like dial it back, but I'll probably just still do it a little bit. Um, you know, cause I can, I just, it's weird. The older I get, like I, when I was younger, I dropped out of my regular school to go to an art school. And then I went to art college and I, there was such an aversion to like athletics, obviously as like a skater of that era. It's yeah, like, oh, yeah. skating's not a sport. Like it's an art form and we're artists, yada, yada. And now the older I get, I get such like mental health benefits and clarity from any sort of like sport 
sport or exercise that I'm like a really athletic person. So, <laughs> you know, between like rock climbing and trail running, riding my bike, like trying to do bike packing trips, I think that that's always going to be part of my my skate career. Even if if like skating is totally foregrounded, like I'm going to do, still do that stuff in the background. And mm. the other thing too is like once you have the gear to be able to go on like big adventures, like whether that's even a bike packing adventure, which is way less difficult on your body. It's like now that I have the gear and I know how like how to read a map and how to do resupply and all those things, which is, is kind of a, a little bit of a that in and of itself is like a skill that you have to develop. I just think that I'll, I'll want to continue doing this stuff in some capacity. Like I love mm-hmm. I love spending time in nature. Um, obviously, we all could benefit from getting off our phones a little bit. And Definitely. I really personally like love the intersection of like having solitude in nature, but also like pushing yourself physically and like collapsing on the ground at the end of the day. Like I really, for me, like that's a, that's a time of my life where I usually feel miserable in the moment and hate it. And then when I'm immediately done with it, I'm like, wow, that was incredible and enriching experience. You know, like that's mm-hmm. what life is all about is like getting caught in a thunderstorm and you know, like powering the, through it, yeah, powering through like 10 miles till you get to like the next place that has food. Like I, I really like that stuff. So yeah, I'll probably yeah, yeah. Uh, try to just do more of those trips, but in a more uh, mellow approach. I just have two quick last questions from me before we do these uh, friends questions. But uh, basically, I wanted to ask you just about like, what do you have planned in the next few months? We talked about slow impact. That's definitely going to be high on your to-do list, I guess. But uh, I was just wondering, what are your maybe next goals as a pro skater today? We started this conversation with like your current situation with sci-fi and New Balance and everything. You've been pro for a long time. What are your like um, ambitions for the next five to 10 years, let's say? What would you like to achieve as a pro skater at this stage in your career i guess you want to just keep pushing yourself and putting new video parts out and stuff but do you have like a a set of goals that you'd like to achieve or yeah five to ten years is bold uh (laughs) i would say in the short term like i really again we talked about this earlier but i feel very fortunate to have been given this opportunity where i'm at in skateboarding to have sponsors that i like that make stuff that i like and put out videos that everyone seems to enjoy and product that people seem to like so i just want to focus on skating and being a skate rat like that's my Mm -hmm. goal right now is to clear my schedule as much as possible like i watch a part i don't know if you saw cyrus's part in the huff video but i'm like that dude just like is putting his heart and soul into it like you you could just tell that he gives a shit about skating and i'm like that's that's it like just fucking get out there and go through it and sweat and try the hardest trick at each spot that you go to and maybe it works and like make a decent video part so i mean in his case a really good video part but that's to me like i think that there's just like i don't know i've spent so much of my life like having being so goal oriented and having things so structured and i think that like it's really easy to fall into the trap of like no if i just schedule my whole day i'll be optimize all my performance and you know get all these projects done but the way that you make really great skateboarding is by meandering i'm a firm believer in that like the really good skate videos you can tell are people go out with filmers regularly and photographers and they're just kind of casually skating around a city and making stuff happen yeah 
And for me, that's when I've made the stuff that I'm the most proud of. And I mm. want to just kind of like get back into the groove of doing that, not making it feel like a commercial or making, you know, this shiny polished object, which is like so much of what we have to do in the marketing side of skateboarding, but just like make a good video part, go out there and sweat it out, you know? Mm. Um, and I enjoy okay. that process too. Like that's for m many of us, that's like how we got into street skating is like, you know, I don't know why I'm just like stuck at this three stair with my friends from middle school and we're just like skating until my mom's gonna yell at me because it's 10 30 at night you know and i'm like <laughs> trying to frontside flip this thing i don't know how to frontside flip um so i just yeah i want to get into that and then um I don't know, like long-term goals are challenging, but I like doing skate park design stuff. Like that's really fun. And obviously like trying to help out with skate after school is a good time. And just, I don't know, trying to stay busy and, and help out friends and people as I can and work on different projects. I'm like, I'm a very motivated person. So like I, if I have downtime, I'd like immediately start a new project. So, mm. um, you know, what, what we're hopeful to just continue doing Vent City episodes and I'll find stuff to do in the downtime if I'm injured and if I'm not I'm hoping to be skating and just being generally like as active as possible because that's what makes me feel good mm -hmm. yeah I actually didn't even ask you about Ben City but uh how is it going on that front because you started that in 2019 as well uh, the year of pushing borders right yeah and uh it's been four years and you're still doing it but uh you do like an episode every other month or something or maybe a bit more than that sometimes yeah sometimes I mean if God, if it were up to me, I would love to do it like every couple of weeks, but it's just really challenging getting them edited and getting everyone together and, and yeah. getting them put out. I, I think that obviously, you know, you have your show and you're really motivated and can get it out pretty consistently, but we go through waves where we're like really motivated. We just recorded an episode recently and it's nice just to get everyone together to talk about skating. Um, if yeah, anything, yeah. just for personal reasons, it's like nice yeah. to have the conversations. I mean, a aside from putting something out or like building some bigger projects, it's just nice to have a conversations about skating and think about it in a critical way yes absolutely i just have one last question for me and that's what would you say is one of the most valuable lessons that you've learned from skating god that's a tough one i think for me the thing that i the value that i've like received most from skating is like always pushing yourself to the precipice of like putting yourself outside of your comfort zone mm. you know like whether that is exploring new territory traveling to a place you're kind of you know like it, everything feels a little like overwhelming to go on this trip or whether that's like skating something that's just like slightly uncomfortable i'm like that's the thing that we're here for we're not here to do the tricks that we've always done and yeah you know for better or worse we're kind of like stuck on this like this line of progression that is not it's not exactly linear but you know this we're stuck on a a path of progression which is that like Like, don't be happy with what just happened or celebrate what just happened, but let's move on to the next thing. And mm -hmm. for me and Skate After School, one of the benefits I've really seen from kids in our program is that they start skateboarding and suddenly their neighborhood looks a lot bigger. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a really like great way to look at it with magnifying glass. Like that's what we're doing in skateboarding more broadly, whether that's like the, some podcast project you want to do or some piece of writing or some video. It's like it's always going to feel shitty and scary to put yourself outside of your comfort zone. But you just have to like kind of take that leap. And every time 
time I've done anything that's been meaningful in my career, it's never been from a place of like, oh, this is really safe and I feel really good about it and it's really polished and I'm like totally ready to put it out to the world. It's always from a place of I'm scared shitless. I don't, yeah, Mm -hmm. I have discomfort. I don't know what's going on, but like we're just going to throw it out into the void and see how it lands. Mm -hmm. So that was a a bit of a disjointed answer, but uh, yeah, it kind of, it kind of, yeah, it relates to trips. It relates to, you know, my specific craft of skating and like how I approach street skating. And I think it also relates to like just any, any sort of big project you're, you're willing to take on. Okay, well, I have these friends uh, questions for you. So I have a first one here from Aram, Aram Saba. So he said, what was your most fun skate spot in Palestine? Uh, I mean, the easy answer is the plaza in Ramallah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be everyone's go-to answer, I think. Uh, there's a three block and the really good ledges. And it's like there's yeah. guys selling coffee and vendors there and people hanging out, little kids enjoying life as a little kid. But I want to say that the funniest experience we had when we were in Bethlehem, there was this out ledge. It was the end of the day. We were about to drive back to Ramallah, which it's Bethlehem is like maybe, a, I don't know, two to four hour drive away. And so we're about to head back and we didn't really have a terribly productive day. And we find this, I find this outledge that's coming out of a, like a hookah shop with mm-hmm. old men who are there playing chess. But the runway is about six feet and then it like transitions into the shop where there's people in there. It's like a cafe, you know, but people are smoking hookah and old men playing chess. And the guys there were just down for me to skate and they like totally welcomed us, which is the thing that never would happen in the States. Like there's no <laughs> yeah. way in hell. And for sure. uh yeah, so these guys, like, I'm literally, like, standing next to these old men inside, like, deep inside the hookah shop, like, as they're, like, playing chess or, or dominoes or whatever they're playing. And, yeah, <laughs> like, throwing down past them to nose grind this outledge that goes into the street. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, that trick, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that was a, that was a good memory um, just because, mm. like, again, it just speaks to the charity of those people. And it was a really, really good spot, too. Like, the ledge, I, I would think about that ledge a lot i'm like wow it's a really good dimensions for an out ledge like kind of low not super long so you don't not going to get pitched and then it lands on like a really smooth downhill street yeah so i'd love to to go back and skate there if possible okay the next one is from matt price so he said ask ryan about his sponsor list i'm talking like every sponsor since he was a child Legend has it that over the years, he has ridden for over 60 brands, which is incredible. The man has had nine lives in skateboarding. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, yeah, it makes me, I feel like that makes me look pretty bad. But uh, not all of them were my fault. Um, I don't even know. Yeah, because I got sponsored so early in life. And I think that we're also, when we were joking about this, we were counting all of the companies that like I got rep flow from, you know, like, so when you're at the shop, the rep gives you stuff, but like, I mean, everything, DVS, Lakai, just from a shoe perspective, right? DVS, Mm -hmm. Lakai, Etnies, S, America. No, not America, actually. And then we've got Nike, I got shoes from, got shoes from Vans. Yeah, just, I mean, that's just shoes. And there's been more probably that I can't even think of. Oh, obviously, iPath and Huff. Well, that can be a, a goal of yours in the next five years to get on Adidas or Converse or the, the, yeah, the yeah. remaining ones. <laughs> At least just like hit up the team managers and be like, can you send me a box so that I can put it on the list? 
Yeah, and then board sponsor wise, I rode for Crooked Think. I got boards from Jamie Thomas at Zero. After Zero, I got boards from who did I get boards from? Enjoy. Oh yeah, no, I rode for Enjoy proper, and then after Enjoy, I started skating Welcome boards, and then from Welcome went to Sci-Fi. You know, mm -hmm. and so then we've got if we were to look at clothing, it'd be probably comparable. So yeah, it's like every industry is like I don't know five to ten. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm 35 and I've been sponsored since I was like 13 years old. But so like a lot of the companies have just gone out of business. And then a handful of them were poorly managed by myself, which I'll take full culpability for. And mm. then, uh, you know, a few others were just evolved over the time. Didn't work but, out? Or? Yeah, yeah, it didn't work out. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I got cut from Etnies because they had budget cuts and I was probably the first on the chopping block. So, okay. you know, the, the thing about skating, unless you ride for the really big brands, is like you're probably more often than not kind of like just kind of cruising the arc of a company, which is typically around 10 to 20 years. So you kind of of get on at a time when you hope that it's rising and then you get on to another brand you know like ipath had a 15 year maybe arc or something and we kind of like got on at the tail end and they kicked off half the team and the other half of us quit so mm -hmm. then you just got to move to the next thing and by the time i got on soltech obviously soltech is not exactly thriving in this era yeah and so rode that out until there's just been budget cuts and a lot of us got let go and then you try to you know but I mean, it's like a miracle that I've ended up where I'm, I'm at because I definitely have had my ass kicked uh, more than a handful of times. And I'm fine with that. I mean, it's like so much of skating is just luck. There's an element of like perseverance and talent, but a lot of it is just luck and being at the right place at the right time, Timing. you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll have you listen to this next one. So Ryan, as someone who's participated in both the second annual Pushing Borders in Sweden in 2019 and as one of the organizers of Slow Impact this year in 2023. I'm wondering what lessons you've learned not only from planning a slightly more mellow event compared to Pushing Borders but also perhaps transitioning into a slightly lower impact skateboarder in the twilight of your pro career. Is there any correlation? Please discuss. So I assume you recognize the voice of, uh, <laughs> of one Ted Barrow. Um, I would say that that's super interesting. I mean, that a lot of that just kind of comes with age, but also skating, it seems like itself is getting more low impact. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've definitely been influenced by Ted and, uh, and all of those guys in that like, the, I mean, Ted's the first person to tell me like, dude, you don't need to jump down handrails and like kill yourself. Even though I still have that impulse in me, even to this day, that's <laughs> like, I, wa I want to skate stuff that scares me and I, you know, whatever, I, I'm happy to get a boring trick on a handrail just because it feels good. But I don't know if there's any correlation between like, yeah, organizing slow impact and skating stuff that is a little lower to the ground. Other than just, yeah, I've been managing injuries over the last few years, which I guess that speaks to. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like I have a very thoughtful answer to his question, but uh, it is a, a very interesting observation for sure. Okay, next one is from Charlie Davis from SkatePal. So he said, are you going to try and get 103 tricks in a line one day? <laughs> 
You know what's funny is that we actually tried to do another 100 tricks. He's referencing a video that I made that Ted Barrow narrated yeah. uh, where I did a 100 trick line. And we tried to do a hundred trick, uh, another 100 trick line at Perry last fall as a fundraiser for Skate After School. And okay. it was such a brutal experience, like just soul crushing. Like I... Yeah. I did it without cameras and it was it worked out and and I actually like elevated a lot of the the tricks so that it felt a little more interesting so I think I made it a little more challenging for myself but uh -huh. when push came to shove and we had to like film it I just could never I think I think probably I burned through like three filmers going there three times four times each for like two hours a session until I just felt like I was gonna puke and wow. we got maybe two that we thought were at 100 and then we recounted them and they were at like 98 or 99 <laughs> oh, and shit. I and I like fell like right at 100 so it was like there was no room for error and then again probably got to into the 90s five to ten times which is just so painful when you've spent 15 minutes trying a lot and then you fall at trick like 97 yeah it's really oh rough uh, but also like really hones in your skating in a in a fun way you feel really on point on your skateboard so i probably will give it another go this winter if i can get someone to film it it's brutal to film because you just like have to point a camera at someone and follow them around for like yeah um, must be exhausting as well and then typically we also like to have a counter on the sidelines too oh yeah, yeah. To, so it's a three three people operation yeah Yes, exactly. I mean, I can count in my head, but it's pretty unreliable because, like, if you lose track, you're just, you know. You have to focus on the tricks as well and, it, like, not fall. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. it's a whole thing. All right, let's do this next one. Hey, Ryan. Question from a fellow Arizonan who has probably a similar love-hate relationship with the place when it comes to skateboarding. I'm curious to know what you think Arizona's biggest contribution to skateboarding is. Besides, you know, just people like Randy Colvin or Tim Gavin or Muska or yourself, does Arizona bring something specific and meaningful to skateboarding in general? And if so, what do you think that thing is or those things are? What, what are the most significant contributions Arizona has made to skateboarding in general? That's a good question from uh, my friend Mo. I think I also I love this. This is a great feature that you've got on your podcast. I just oh, want to thank uh, you. congratulate you on thinking of this. I would say that the two things that come to mind, one, which is a little corny, but skate parks. Like we were one of the first places in the U.S. that got really good state-of-the-art skate parks. And I think that like that model really like showed the path for different states all throughout the country. Like we had way better parks that had lights that didn't require helmets than California did. Um, so really? okay. yeah, I think we were like definitely like early adopters of like the big mega skate park, which again, I have my own critiques about now, but like they're wonderful places. Like if you get your city to spend a million dollar on a skate park, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and then two, I would say the era of independent videos that came out was really impactful on skating broadly. Like Jackson Casey, Buster O'Shea's videos, Thad Krosky, Eric Dinescu, like all of those people, especially, especially Jackson, 
Jackson and Buster's videos, like the happy medium videos and the, and boyish and worship friendship. Yep. Those like, I even missed the mark on those. Like I, I kind of thought like, Oh, boyish will be cool. And now I look back on it. And I'm like, that's like one of the most impactful videos of that like decade maybe. Mm-hmm. And really also kind of like set the stage for alternative types of scenes and videos that existed outside of the industry because, you know, and static was a, a contributor to that and i feel like they kind of get a lot of the credit but like really like all of the people in jackson's videos were unsponsored skaters you know Mm -hmm. and and it's like you know they're incredibly creative and artful and had cool music that was like super current at the time and just felt like like a fresh offering and i i remember like going on a tour to russia we were in saint petersburg with enjoy Mm -hmm. and people like moving past jerry to ask me about happy medium and boyish and i was thinking like wow Wow. this is crazy like on even like a like i'm you know i'm halfway across the globe yeah people are like super super interested in these videos and unfortunately like we don't really have like a really strong scene of independent skate videos that are coming out now um i mean there's obviously good stuff but like in that era it was like it felt like everyone in the country was watching the videos and and paying attention to them and we were kind of like leading the way in terms of like what indie skate videos could look like so i I think that that like is something that we still carry on with us Yeah, I just wanted to shout out, that question was from Maurice Crendel, who was uh, one of the, um, he participated in one of the talks at uh, Soul Impact. Yeah, you should also have Mo on this show, because he's he's a professor of Native American skate history, or not skate history, Native American history at ASU, and he is a freak skater. Yes, I follow him on Instagram, and he's very productive, he's like skating all the time and posting clips every day, like yeah, he's a... Yeah, impressive. He's, he's doing that married with kids and having yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> a, a tenured position at ASU. So he's he's so motivated and uh, like he really like carries the spirit of street skating, which is awesome to see. He's always inspiring me. I've talked about having him on the podcast. I'll definitely get him on at some point soon. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and he comes from a smaller town in Arizona, so he has like a totally different background and relationship to skating than I would, like having grown up in Phoenix at a slightly later later date. Okay, then I have a few questions from Ted Schmitz. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I'll just read you what he told me, and you can pick one or two items that you want to discuss. So, okay. okay. He said, there was a very interesting time between Rasa Libre and Enjoy where Ryan was getting zero boards in 2010. He even skated some more rails during that time. You should ask him about that phase in his career. Or ask him about the time he was stalked by a mountain lion on the San Carlos Apache Reservation while an entire contest watched from afar. Then he said he also almost died in a flash flood in Cold Springs when he was 17. And it's another very Ryan moment. (laughs) There's so many times he's just gotten himself into insanely preventable right spots. He was also in the van when Fred Gall called Tony Hawk to get Jaws into Canada. And last thing, also my dog bit him, which is not a very good story, but it happened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go. I'm going to do try to do a a speed round if I can remember all of those questions. Yes, when I again, I grew up watching and worshiping Thrill of It All and Misled Youth. And I even liked Zero into I would say it's like the middle era. But when Fallen came out and Ride the Sky had come out, I, I felt like I was maybe I was reacting to having skated in San Francisco for two years. And so much of the skating around there was centered around like this stereo era and like that 
that mindset yeah. of spots. And I just remember, I don't know, for whatever reason, I started wearing tighter pants and I had bleached hair and was skating in fallens and was like, this would be sick if I got on fallen in zero. And I, I got the zero bold army board, you know, the, the classic one. Okay. And yeah. And I also like learned how to skate big rails at that time, which I think is something that's like helped me out later in life. But I never really skated like huge rails when I was younger. And mm. then yeah, I kind of started skating bigger stuff. And it was a very weird phase for me, though. Like, I just did it for like a year. And then I think I kind of got over it. And Jamie, I don't think had a path for me. It was just like, uh, probably not gnarly enough or something like that. But a good price has like a couple really classic photos of like me. It's one of me like switch alling over a 12 stair like wall. And I've got a huge zero army board like right in the frame with like bleached hair. And I look all punk rock. Okay. I'll hit him up and ask him to check it down. I'd love to see that one. <laughs> I probably could find it too. It's on an old hard drive somewhere. Um, and then the other thing... Yeah, the mountain lion stalking thing is like the origin story of how I approach doing so many things in my life, which is okay. like, we went to an event when I was maybe 14 or 15 on the reservation and they were kind enough to invite us and we were skating in some of the contests. Maybe we skated in the contest, maybe we we're just there watching. Can't quite remember, but overlooking this skate park, there's a highway and then overlooking the, the highway is a, a huge like mountain. And we went, we walked up the mountain because we were just you know when you're sitting in a skate contest you're just kind of bored for a lot of the time if you're there for you know eight hours and we wanted to get a better view of what was going on so and obviously it seemed like there was cool like bird's eye view from up there and we're up on the like getting close to the top of the mountain like where there's a ridge and i'm highest up and all of my friends maybe jaws was there and i don't uh -huh. know thad krosky a couple other people they've all bailed and i'm like trying to figure out why they're like walking back down the mountain and then i look at the, I'm watching the contest and they're all screaming at me but from these like tiny ant voices which I can't understand what they're saying and Doug mm -hmm. Miles who's uh, oh, runs yeah, Apache from, um, Skateboards yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, he's yelling at me on the mic and I can't really make out anything that he's saying and eventually I just kind of like turn and come down and it turns out there's just a mountain lion that was like 10 feet above me looking oh, down at damn. me but I didn't have the vantage point that they did so I couldn't see and nor was I looking up the mountain I'm looking at them and they're all looking past me and trying to scream at me <laughs> which yeah i mean i don't know yeah Sketchy. kind of like a do now figure it out later approach similar to like ending up in a, a flood zone and in, in cold springs like i've i've gotten myself into those situations pretty frequently but i i do i will have you know that i do carry an s like a garmin inreach mini with an sos feature on it now when i'm doing stuff in the mountains but okay. i don't know for whatever reason like that's just how like i like if there's a storm i'm just gonna like walk into it i don't know i don't know why <laughs> but uh and i, I like i think i really love suffering like in some capacity <laughs> like there's an element of even like planning slow impact that like as miserable as it was last year i'm like kind of looking forward to like going through that again through the pain and irritation of organizing it all yeah. yeah just like i don't know just like grinding through it is for whatever reason like that makes me feel alive i guess and, and I'll, I'll tell you i hate it in the moment i'll tell you i'm miserable i'm having a breakdown and then i finish and it's like i mean anyone who's ever done like a really long run will tell you the same thing it's like you never want to do it again until next time <laughs> yeah until next time yeah ask me how i feel in a week from now and then when things have healed 
old and you're like, oh, actually, that was like, I've only remember really the, the pretty good parts. Yeah, 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 exactly. I will like tell my wife on the phone, like record this, like hold me accountable for future. Yeah, do not let me, you need to play the audio for me next time I'm like trying to plan some ridiculous trip <laughs> so that I, I know better. Okay, I have just a few last ones and then I'll let you go. Let's see. Hello, Ryan. Hope you're well. This is Victor. <laughs> I have a few questions for you. Oh, Lord. The first one. Is it true that you, the day after the wedding, turned around, looked at your wife and said, so, how does it feel to be married to a professional skateboarder? <laughs> Second, both you and I are big supporters of SkatePal. Why would you encourage others to become supporters of SkatePal? Third, what would you say is your favorite thing about a country we both love, Palestine? Yeah, that was it. Tell Jerry I love him. I want to lick his face. Have a good one. Looking forward to hearing the interview. Cheers. This is almost like a uh, like a roast of sorts. <laughs> you <laughs> know, of, like getting yeah. uh, hearing all my old friends, many of whom I haven't talked to in in too long. To hop on the line is pretty fun. Um, okay, so the first question wasn't a, really a question. Um, not a thing that <laughs> happened, but uh, it is funny because my wife is a doctor, and so she's married to a pro skateboarder, which not nearly as cool as being a doctor. The second question uh, about Skate Pal, volunteer for Skate Pal. Like go, if you, especially if you're like aimless, like I see so many young people who are just kind of a little directionless and I don't blame them because if you live in the US, most jobs suck that are entry level and university is really expensive. So there's a lot of people that are just kind of floating until they figure things out. And the two things that I would suggest personally that have been great for me, go hike a long trail like hike the Pacific Crest Trail or one of the trails that I wish that I could do, but I can't because I don't have the time because I have too many responsibilities at this state of my life. Mm -hmm. And hit me up if you, if you want advice on gear or how to do that. But I'm like, go spend six months on trail and spend $2,000. Like it won't cost you any money and it'll change your life. And mm -hmm. then the other thing is go volunteer for Skate Pal. Or, you know, there's other organizations, but Skate Pal sure. yeah, will yeah. teach you. And think of it as a skills exchange. Because like I don't, I, I think that a lot of people in like the social skate project space think of it in this way. But it's like, you're not going there to like, don't think of, of yourself as just going there to like volunteer, to like help out these kids yada yada like you're gonna learn so much more about yourself yeah, and you're exactly. going to like exchange skills with these people i learned more from aram than anything that i could ever teach him and you're gonna learn a lot about you're going to like get a, a crash course in geopolitics you're gonna get a crash yeah. course in how the u.s media works it's going to like help reframe everything you think about how how the world works and how you've been told the world works in the especially in the post-world war ii order and then beyond that you're just going to meet like cool like-minded people from all around the world you know which is like mm. a very rare opportunity to be able to do that and have it intersect with skateboarding yeah right? because yeah, yeah. if you're listening to this you're like addicted to skateboarding and you love it and there's just very few like you don't want to join the peace corps or something like that like <laughs> not that i'm even even like a fan of peace corps but it's like there's you know there are volunteering opportunities but none that are going to be as fun and like you know teach you the skills that you want to have as a skater and as just like a well-rounded human so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, please, uh, if you have any questions, I, I do respond to most of my DMs. I'm happy to talk to you about either of those two things. And then the third question that Victor asked was my favorite thing about Palestine. Yes. 
I gotta just say the food, like the food is just incredible, especially as a vegan. And it's not, you know, it's like, it's so funny because here the places that are like vegan restaurants, I don't really like typically because they just have weird fake meat products and they're, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, they're kind of like marketed almost as like fast food restaurants or something. And uh, mm. the food there is just so fresh and so considered and a lot of it's plant-based and there's just, I don't know. It's, and it's really affordable and it's just, I don't know. I just find that like, you know, it's not a, a novel thing to say that life in the U.S. is really transactional. You go and pay for a thing, you get the thing, you don't even like talk to the person or make eye contact with them. You go eat in your car or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but there it's just like, you know, you're going to have a meaningful interaction with someone who's going to like prepare the food for you, talk with you. People will make you food in their homes, you know, like tell you about the ingredients. It's like all the things that you want out of a really good meal. Okay, next one is from Aaron Lester. You mentioned her earlier, teammate on Sci-Fi. So she said, can we get a comprehensive nickname list for you? Punchman, Punchy, there's gotta be more. Let's hear him. <laughs> <laughs> it's really just those two. I, I uh, And those come from an era when I was skating, I think with Mango, but I have a lot of friends that still call me Punchy or Punchman okay. or Punch. But it's, it's died out a little bit, but like some of my really good friends from, I don't know, 10 to 15 years ago still refer to me as, as Punch Man. And if you watched my uh, other one's part, there's a guy in the beginning of that part who's like, has his arm around me and he's like, punch you, he'll knock you out. Um, <laughs> okay. That's like kind of like the only place that it shows up in videos. But yeah, I don't know. Nicknames are fun. I kind of wish that people called me by that nickname still. It's kind of nice. I don't know. Mm. Sometimes nicknames in skateboarding can be a little like, just like a little over the top, you know, like they, they feel like part of a broader marketing campaign. But I think like yeah, a nickname yeah. in life generally is pretty fun and usually comes from a place of endearment. Okay, I have just a few last ones. Let's do this one. Hey, Ryan, it's Brendan Spawn, uh, the secret tape. <laughs> After I attended Slow Impact last year, which was the most wonderful gathering of skateboarders and skateboarding that I've, I've ever been a part of. I came away with two questions that I wanted to ask you. What's something that you were super stressed out about in the lead up towards it all that ended up being kind of no problem at all? And on the other side of that question, was there anything that you really didn't give any thought to that ended up being like really, really stressful and maybe something to learn from for another one in the future? And fuck it. I'm going to give you a third question. Are we doing this shit next year? Because if so, I'm going to book my flight now. See you later. <laughs> I love Brendan. He's so great. What is such a like a wonderful character in in skateboarding? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the thing I was really stressed out about was people coming and people came. There were lots of people <laughs> there, and they kind of like self managed. Like I was also really worried about the space and getting the panel set up because we didn't really we didn't preview that at all. It was just kind of like maybe the day before we set up the chairs, but to get all the audio equipment working and like Adam Giacomundo from who's on Ben City, he like helped run the audio and Ted ran the audio. I would say like I was just really stressed out about like are all these things gonna fit into one piece? But like you'll be surprised when you do an event like this especially if you have a little bit of budget like people will just come out of the woodwork to be like yeah i'll film it or yeah i'll like help mm. run the audio and i had people lined up for things but you know people fall through and then other people show up or there 
again, just kind of speaks to that leap of faith that you have to take to that it's going to be scary and there's going to be parts that are seemingly unplanned, but like there's people there that are just like, oh, I'll put up a banner. Like I'm just here, you know, <laughs> or like I'll help unload the truck, you know, like people, they just like fully unloaded the truck on the way to the wedge. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that I didn't think that was going to be stressful that ended up being stressful. That is, I would say the, we had an event with like a band one night and it was just like overbooked. That was a bummer. And so like a lot of people didn't get to make it in, which I felt really bad about because obviously you don't want to like run the events way over capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like a little hiccup, but I mean, honestly, I was like kind of stressed about everything. So there wasn't wasn't too much (laughs) that I was like not stressed about. Okay. And yeah. And then obviously, yeah, we're going to, we're hoping to do it again this next year, but I wouldn't buy your ticket just now. I I would wait until you get a, see a formal announcement somewhere on the internet. Okay. Okay. Also, Brandon killed it. Like, he crushed it. He's such a good skater and, like, great personality. And I don't think many people knew that about him. They only know him as the secret tape on Instagram. But he left being a uh, class favorite for sure. Okay, I have just two quick last ones. This one is from Clément Legal from France, photographer. So he said, hey, Ryan, hope you're good, bro. One of the best experiences in my life was this week in Palestine with you, Eric, and Iran. Would you be down to go back there one of these days? <laughs> that sounds like more like a DM, uh, Clem, than a, uh, than a question. But yes, I would love nothing more than to go back with you. Yeah, Clem is an incredible photographer from France. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's just now kind of like getting the notoriety that he deserves. But he's been really good for a long time. Okay, very, very last one. Let's see. Hi, Ryan. So I have a question for you. And it's, you know, whatever is the first thing that comes to mind. But I want to know what you're contemplating lately. I feel like things are always changing in your mind. So I'd love to know what kind of thing you're contemplating. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's such a challenging and broad question. From your your wife now, right? Yeah. It's from my wife. It's funny because she doesn't speak to me in that, I want to say like cadence. Like I I rarely hear her talk in that way. Uh, So I was almost like, is this Adriana? I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Uh, (laughs) But I was like, it couldn't be anybody else. Um, Okay, the thing that I'm really contemplating, which she probably knows about, is like my struggle with, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, but just my struggle with just being able to like be reasonable about things and not being extreme about every new hobby and thing that I approach, Mm. you know, whether that's, you know, like we've kind of just started getting into rock climbing out of necessity because it's one of the few air conditioned activities you can do. And so we're buying the gear and, you know, Joe, a gifted hater, also rock climbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's much better at it than I am. And I just I want to try to, like, take this as like an opportunity to just be like, you could just suck at it and not need to be extreme and not go like six times a week and just like enjoy it with friends and do it casually and have it be like a hobby. Because, uh, you know, I, I feel like I spent so much of my life trying to hone in this like craft of skateboarding, you know, and, and excel at it. And I think I've done a, a decent job at that. Yeah. And I just want to really prioritize and focus on that because, yeah, getting into running and trail running and other projects as well is just like I just love to take on too much and make things miserable and, and, and <laughs> like 
almost just like beat them into a bloody pulp until it's like it's not even fun anymore like it's all about the suffering like i'm not even having a good time like i just need to like i don't know so um and i think that that like something i've also been reckoning with is that's like a uniquely american or like whatever usian approach to things which is like we don't have normal relationships with anything like we have to turn it's like we can't just go for a walk we have to like check the walking app to like count our steps for the day or like (laughs) you know we do mindfulness or meditation but it's like through an app and we're like tracking all of it and it's just I don't know. We have a we have a a weird relationship with just like quantifying and trying to like optimize everything. And especially mm-hmm. recently, like I've noticed that, that that stuff started to creep into my life and a lot of people's lives. It's just like self-optimization culture and it's like, well, at what cost, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You very know, true. like okay, you're waking up at four and you're not drinking alcohol at all and you're tracking your steps and having a 30 minutes of focused meditation, but it's like all in the service of just like being a better, not even a better worker, but just someone who just is more efficient and makes more money. Like that's what it kind of like mm-hmm. all of this does really seem to be in service of or potentially living longer. But, you know, I think there's a, arguably some pushback and pushback that I'm feeling, which is like, no, actually part of living a meaningful life is like taking a casual nap going for a casual walk that's not like you're not turning your straw on going for a trail run because it feels good and not needing to be like i need to like meet these miles for the week or Mm. i need to like do this trail in this specific amount of time and just like really i don't know being more in the moment and like having a experience the the joys of just like unstructured time you know, so that's that's the thing that I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks because I've had an emotional last couple of weeks. Like I, I like broke down on the trail. I got injured doing a sport that I don't get paid to do. And it was like borderline like a humiliating experience for me. And I've just had to like really face the way that I've been socialized to like feed into that. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm not immune to any of this stuff. I've listened to the same podcasts and see the same thinkers that most people are, are encountering on YouTube or whatever or Instagram, social media. So it's like, there's just these trends and you just kind of recognize that you're like part of them and like how to break free of those things. And I don't know, I have people in my life who like live really slowly and live a really like unstructured and meaningful life. And I'm trying to look at those people as models for like Mm. how I want to like build out my life, especially now as you know, my my wife and I just got married and we're thinking about having kids and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's really easy to fall into the rat race. Once you've bought a house, you got a mortgage, you got kids, university costs might be a million dollars by the time they're 18, you know, (laughs) so you're just... You fall into these patterns very quickly, especially as a, an American. And, you know, she, my wife is Dominican. So something that happens is, is we, you know, when we go to Dominican Republic, life just moves at a totally different pace there. And I think mm. that it's like impo- that's like one of the benefits of travel for sure is to see that like, oh, people like come to the coffee shop and hang out and aren't playing dominoes or uh, sorry, aren't working on computers, they're playing dominoes, you know? And it's like here, you are not going to see anybody at a coffee shop doing anything except working or feeling guilty about not working, you know? So, and just seeing old men in the park hanging out and seeing people exercising at the parks and just kind of like enjoying enjoying their free time and not not feeling like everything you have to be super performative all the time and yeah Yeah, that you're always needing to like optimize every moment of your life you know because you're like building essentially what we're all doing in like a neoliberal economy is like we're building a brand right like we're building a brand to sell to contractors or companies like that's what i do as a professional skateboarder but i would argue that most people in 
in every industry, that's what they're doing is like, how can I take, how can I try to extract some things from this company to add to my personal brand so that I can go to the next company? Because no one's feeling like they're going to be working at a specific business or company for the duration of their career and retiring there. Mm. Like very few people, I feel like, feel that way. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a bit long winded, but no, no, but much to think about. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you so much. It was fun. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, It's been an honor. And uh, also, thank you to organizing that cast of characters from my, my past. <laughs> yeah, no, my pleasure. Ghosts of Christmas Past. Um, <laughs> yeah. it was, that was a lot of fun. That's it for my conversation with Ryan. Follow him on Instagram at Ryan underscore Lay. Make sure to also follow and support Skate After School at Skate After School. The Vent City podcast at vent.city and skatepal at skate underscore pal. Go check out some of Ryan's video parts on YouTube and keep an eye out for the hopefully upcoming next edition of Slow Impact Early 2024. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Board.